Welcome to this week's energy show. Now, electrify everything. That's the mantra that we're all going to need to repeat in order to avoid the oncoming global warming disaster. This is something we all can do. It's not depending on crazy politicians or fossil fuel companies um, stopping the manufacturing of their product. It's something we all can do. And basically what that means is we're going to eventually replace all of our old natural gas appliances. That's your furnace, HVAC equipment, your gas water heater, your gas stove, your gas car. We're going to replace all those things when they break. That's the most effective way to do it. When they break, when they're dead, with electric appliances, a heat pump air conditioning system, a heat pump water heater, an induction cooktop, plus an electric charger for your EV. So all these gas things, all these fossil fuel things can be replaced with electric appliances, and they're going to be better. Now, you can also power all these things with solar on your roof, but you're going to need more solar panels. So people want to know, how many more solar panels will I need to electrify my house? I'm fairly confident, even though I don't really like them, but I'm fairly confident that your utility will have the power that you need. That's how they make the money. They're going to have the power that you need, but it's going to be at the price that they want. They're going to continue to make a big profit for their investors and bonuses for their executives. So that electricity you're going to buy to heat your house, to heat your water, to drive your car, to cook your food, it's going to be more expensive than if you do it yourself. And I just kind of looked recently at what the electricity rates are happening in California. And this is not an isolated situation, but they're going up at about 10% a year, and this is at least for the next five years, maybe more with inflation. And methane also known as natural gas, that's what's on your bill, has been going up at 8% a year for the last five years. And that was before inflation. And that was before the U.S. is going to try and provide methane, natural gas, to meet the demand in Europe because they're not getting as much as they want or need from Russia. So I'm obviously biased, you know me. But I'm confident that rooftop solar and batteries are the cheapest option. They're also the most reliable. Now, to that end, you got to see what's happening in California, and what happens in California has a tendency to spread east. So California is phasing out the sales of all gas vehicles by 2030, and that means that your choice is going to either be a hydrogen-powered fuel cell or an electric vehicle. An electric vehicle is going to be much more popular and, I believe, much cheaper. And they're requiring heat pumps and induction cooktops in all new construction. Now, the good news is that these new appliances are cleaner, not burning any fossil fuels, safer, and cheaper to operate than methane appliances. And they all run on electricity. And if you replace them when your old appliances die, they're really cost-effective. There's big incentives. All right. It's a pretty basic question, like how many solar panels will I need to electrify everything? And I actually did this on my own house about three years ago. I just electrified everything. I didn't really know what was involved. I didn't know what it was going to cost. I said, I'm going to go do it. I got quotes and I managed to do it and it surprised me. So the answer to the question, how many panels do I need, is very complicated. I can summarize the answer with a simple phrase. It depends. So rather than guess or estimate how many solar panels you're going to need by the square footage of your home or the number of windows you have or the average occupants or your average climate... You can determine the number of extra panels you need fairly precisely. It boils down to figuring out four basic characteristics of your existing house. The first, 
what are your current electricity and methane bills per month? So we look at what your kilowatt hour is per month, and we look at your therms, your methane bills, uh, natural gas per month. Second, what's the efficiency of your current appliances? Because there's some natural gas appliances that are really, really inefficient. You may have leaky ducts, and there's some that are pretty efficient. As far as your car goes, how many miles do you drive? And finally, what's your home's solar exposure? How much room do you have on your roof? And is it, is it shaded? Is it unshaded? Is it south-facing? Is it north-facing? So once we know the answer to these four questions, we can figure out pretty accurately for existing homes how many more solar panels you're going to need to fully electrify your house, kind of step-by-step step by each of these appliances. Now, because we're basing all this on existing usage history, which reflects your habits, how you're living right now, this works really well for new homes, at least the technique we use. It's much trickier for new homes. So let's just start looking at average U.S. homes. I just kind of looked at what the average numbers were. The average U.S. home uses about 1,000 kilowatt hours per month, 12,000 kilowatt hours per year. The average U.S. home uses 640 therms of methane, also known as natural gas, per year. Now, maybe that's 10 or 20 therms per month in the summer for cooking in hot water, and over 100 therms per month in winter for heating. So really, the therms usage, your methane usage, really changes whether you're in Florida or Southern California or whether you're in Maine or Minnesota because up, up in those northern climates, you're going to use a lot more energy for heating. So for this house in San Jose, I'm just looking at the houses with which we have a lot of experience. It's sort of like my house as far as what the house is going to need. Let's just start off with some basics. So I'm looking at a typical customer in the Bay Area, California Bay Area. And the typical customer, just kind of going back over the years, currently, this is not too unusual, they need about 2,400 watt solar panels. Let's put that in context of the total number of watts of solar they need. So in this case, it's about 8,000 watts of solar panels. And in this house also, we installed a 10 kilowatt hour storage battery. Almost all of our customers, the vast majority, are putting in storage batteries because it gives them backup power and it allows them to time shift their energy use concept of time shifting your energy use sounds a little weird, but basically what that means is you can store your energy that you generate from the sun, from your solar panels during the day. You can start in your own battery. You don't have to sell it back to the utility at a discount. And then you can use that energy in your battery to power your house at night when the electric rates are a lot higher. And so that's time shifting your use. You're using your own energy and then you're able to kind of save a bunch more money. So this combination in this typical house here, it pretty much zeroes out the customer's electric bill between the 20 solar panels and a 10 kilowatt hour storage battery. A lot of customers are putting in bigger batteries. They want more backup power. They might use more power at night, but that's just kind of a basic starter system. So for this customer, they're looking at buying an EV. They've got one on order. I don't know how long it's going to take. We'll certainly have the solar system installed before these EV get here because there's backlog, but they want to prepare. That's smart. And one of the reasons is why it's smart is right now there's about $10,000 worth of credits you can get from the federal government and the state government for an EV. So for this customer, they're driving about 12,000 miles a year, 1,000 miles a month, you know, not huge distances, pretty typical. And their gas car gets about 25 miles per gallon. It's not a super efficient car, but it's pretty typical. And they're looking at getting an EV that's going to get about three miles per kilowatt hours. That's the mileage that you look at for an EV. That's a pretty efficient EV. Some of the bigger ones are less efficient, but just I like to work in round numbers for now. So to power that car, 12,000 miles a year, three miles a kilowatt hour, you're going to need about 
7.2 more solar panels. You got to remember that obviously you can't get 0.2 solar panels. So we're just going to round it down to seven more solar panels. Pretty straightforward. So the cost for those extra solar panels is about $8,000. That's the, the average incremental cost. And you look at the energy savings. When we calculate the energy savings, it's how much it's going to cost to drive those 12,000 miles, 25 miles a gallon. I think we calculated it like $4 a gallon. So what your cost for that existing car is minus the cost for driving the car off of those solar panels. And you're going to get a net savings. This is pretty good. Net savings of about $18,000 over 10 years. It's pretty darn good. And that's assuming the gas prices don't go through the roof. And that's assuming that you're able to continue to power that car with your solar, which is going to end up being dirt cheap. So, Boy, gas prices at $4 a gallon, gas prices at $3 a gallon. It's a no-brainer to power your car with rooftop solar. It also makes generally good sense to power your car from electricity, even if you don't have solar. But you're going to have to be careful about where and when you charge your car. Because if you always charge at a public charging station during the day, that's going to be kind of expensive. All right. So kind of a no-brainer to get the AV. And if you have a house, you put solar panels on it, and you're going to charge from that. It just works out. All right. Now... Looking ahead, continuing, this customer has an old air conditioning unit that's not working. Yeah, same thing happened to me. I moved into an old house. The furnace was working. But in April, when I tried to test out the air conditioner, it was like it's the compressor didn't start. So you could go and replace the old air conditioner with a new air conditioner. But a better option at this stage is to install a heat pump that will do the air conditioning. Plus, it will also heat your house. Take out the old furnace, you just put in this compressor unit, updated air handler and evaporator, and then you're all set. Now, it's going to be a bit more expensive, but there's three or $4,000 worth of rebates available in California. I'm sure these rebates are going to extend eventually throughout the country. And that makes really good sense to replace your air conditioner when it dies, tear out your old furnace, you don't need it anymore, and put it in a heat pump. Now, based on the winter methane usage of this customer, you kind of look at how many therms they're using per month, we can do a pretty good estimate, a really good estimate actually, of how big a heat pump and how much money you're going to save. So in this case, the customer needed 6.8 more solar panels to completely heat their house. In this case, we're rounding up to seven. Okay. So that heat pump is going to completely heat the house and it's going to be warm. And even on a cold day, you're going to get warm air coming out and your house is going to be comfortable. Plus it's going to provide summer air conditioning. In this case, the cost for the extra solar panels was about seven and a half thousand dollars and the energy savings over 10 years were about $15,500. So once again, kind of a no brainer. That's the way these new electric things are. They really make good sense. The combination of inexpensive power from solar, combination of rebates and hey, you got to replace the appliance anyway. All right. Taking it another step, their hot water heater is about 10 years old. Now, according to the Department of Energy, the average life of a gas hot water heater is about 13 years. And you know your hot water heater is dead when you go into the garage or the basement and you see a puddle of water under it and it starts dripping. It starts kind of slowly. It's like an illness. It doesn't get better unless you deal with it. So that drip, drip, drip is going to start turning into a flow, and pretty soon you're going to get a flood. What happens is the gas burner is really hot, obviously, and it's basically heating up this tank underneath. And that tank eventually, because it's so hot, that area rusts out, and you get little leaks. 
and the little leagues turn into bigger leagues. So you know when you see that dripping over there, you have maybe a few days, maybe a week to get that thing replaced. So don't wait because it's just going to get worse. Otherwise, you're going to be taking a shower at your neighbor's. So in this case, the customer wants to take advantage of the current rebates for replacing that gas hot water heater with a heat pump water heater. A heat pump water heater, it's amazing. They're the same size as a tank, a standard hot water tank. I have a 65-gallon heat pump water heater. I replaced my gas 65-gallon tank with a heat pump water heater. There's no burner at the bottom, but at the top, there's a little refrigeration unit. You wouldn't even know that's what it is, but there's a vent where cold air comes out, and that cold air coming out is what the waste product is from heating up with that hot refrigerant, the water in that pump. It's just a direct replacement. Eh, make a couple of little plumbing adjustments. But other than that, it just plugs right in. You can get units that don't require any extra AC power. or You can get units that will have a backup heater that will give you faster recovery time. You just have to add a, an additional electrical circuit. All right. So based on the summer methane usage of this customer, we're able to determine how many kilowatt hours that heat pump water heater is going to use. And we can translate that into how many more solar panels. So a standard efficiency heat pump water heater is going to require about 1.6 more solar panels to provide all the hot water they need. My friends have these things. I have these things. You wouldn't even know that there's a heat pump in there, except that you have no gas bill and you get cold air coming out of the heat pump in your garage or your basement or wherever you have it, which is actually pretty good. It's like a dehumidifier. I have the cold air going on top of my wife's vegetable and fruit collection that she keeps in the garage for whatever. All right, so 1.6 more solar panels. The cost for those extra solar panels is about $1,700. And the energy savings from that heat pump water heater over 10 years is about $3,600. That's pretty good. Once again, it's a no-brainer. It's a great payback. So finally, and then we're kind of going down to the eensy-weensy little things, is the customer is considering replacing their gas cooktop with an induction cooktop. So you've got a stove. So a lot of times they have a, a cooktop that's just removable. Underneath there might be an oven. Underneath there might be some shelving. You can just take that thing out, cap the gas line, plug in the induction cooktop. Almost all homes have connections behind the stove for both electricity and gas, so you just plug that thing in. And there's some questions. People have a bad bad memories of electric stoves because they had these coils or these red hot quartz things that were going and it didn't give you a lot of good control. You'd turn off the heat and the burners would still be hot. You'd still bring your food. Induction cooktops, completely different technology. It actually directly heats the pot and if you turn the heat off, the pot instantly cools down. Just like the same performance as you get with gas. Very, very comparable. We have a Viking range, big high power range. The induction cooktop is just as good in every regard. The other advantage is, is you're going to get much cleaner air in your home. You don't have like combustion products from the natural gas. And that's important for people with asthma and other conditions. And people that kind of get in the habit of induction cooktops, you see the air is just cleaner. You don't have those cooking smells. It's definitely better for the environment. Definitely better for people living in the house. So this replacement, pretty straightforward to do. I'm not necessarily saying it's a do-it-yourself thing because you got some little fitment to do. But any contractor that does kitchen work can easily pop these things in. You can get these induction cooktops right now in any of the big box stores. So doing the calculations here, you need about 1.3 more solar panels to provide all the electricity you need for your induction cooktop. So cost for those extra solar panels is about $1,500. And then the energy savings over 10 years is about $2,000. And you got to remember, these induction cooktops, there's no waste heat. When you're boiling water in a pot, 
all of the electrical energy goes right into the pot and directly into the water. Whereas when you're heating with a gas stove, you got those flames going around the side. You feel a lot of heat above that. That's wasted heat. You don't have that with induction. So adding all of this up for this customer that's doing a complete conversion from gas appliances, gas car, everything to electrifying everything. Customer originally needed 20 solar panels to zero out their electric bill. But if they were just to do that, we're giving them the options. We're not saying you got to do this now, but giving them the options. This is what it's going to take. If you put those 20 solar panels in, that's going to meet whatever lighting, whatever electrical use you had, whatever air conditioning, pool pump, whatever. That's going to meet all those needs. But you're still going to have high methane and high gas bills. So to fully electrify this home, in this example that we just went through, you're going to need another 17 solar panels. Once again, I'm rounding it off, but it's pretty close. So candidly, I kind of look at this. Gee, that sounds like a lot more solar panels. They have to go from 20 solar panels to 37 solar panels. That's what the engineering math concludes. It's pretty precise. We can look at what you're currently using in terms of, of natural gas, methane, and we can do a pretty good calculation. But the good news is that the energy payback for making this transition is about five years. That's really, really good. You're getting a payback on those extra solar panels by saving all that energy in five years. And there's currently big incentives for EVs, for heat pumps, for solar, and for batteries. So the government, the state and the federal government, they're incentivizing this. It's like, do this now. Don't wait five or 10 years, make sure that you take advantage of this now. When your appliances die, that's when it makes the most economic sense. You're going to save a lot of money. And with electricity in California going up at 10% a year and methane going up at 8% a year, plus, boy, we just looked at the March inflation numbers, 8.5%. I mean, that's spiked probably, obviously, because of the war in Ukraine. But we're still looking at inflation. It's not going to be 2%. It's going to be pretty high, I'd say at least 5% for a while. So it makes really good sense to generate your own energy and not depend on the utility because I know that whatever the inflation rate is, whatever that CPI inflation rate is, your utilities are going to go up even faster. That's just the way it is. All right. That's all the time we have on this week's energy show. Thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in. And if you missed any of today's show, you can always go to our website at cinnamon.energy and listen to the podcasts.